Hi, this is Justin. Today on Theocast, we are going to answer the question, is the whole Bible really about Jesus? And we don't like to bury the lead here at Theocast. And so our position is that, yes, in fact, the whole Bible is about Christ and what he has accomplished on behalf of sinners in order to save us. And so we're going to have this conversation from a couple of different perspectives. We're going to talk about typology and how that works in the Bible. And if you don't even know what typology is, don't worry. We're going to define it and try to explain it for you. We're also going to talk about biblicism and how it is unhelpful to understanding the scriptures accurately. Again, if you don't know what biblicism is, stay tuned. We're going to try to explain it to you and help you see how it relates to this conversation. We really hope this is an encouraging and life-giving conversation for you and that it's a conversation that will open up the scriptures and show you how from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus really is the point of the whole thing. And yeah, here we go. If you'd like to help support Theocast, you can do that by leaving us a review on iTunes and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Plus, we have a Facebook group if you'd like to join the conversation there. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed and pastoral perspective. Your hosts today are John Moffat, who is pastor of Grace Reformed Church in beautiful Spring Hill, Tennessee. And I am Justin Purdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina, also a very beautiful place. We've been saying lately, John, that uh, not only are these conversations from a Reformed perspective, but they're also from a pastoral one. And that's for a few reasons, right? We're pastors, we're not academics, and we aim to talk about these things in a way that is, we hope, gentle encouraging mm. and helpful to that's right weary christians out there right i mean we are two such weary christians and we pastor weary christians and so that's how we come at these conversations we are man. but starving thirsty sinners who are leading other mm. starving thirsty sinners to the well of christ it's like yeah we're 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 starving people who have been offered food and we're offering it to others and thirsty people who have been water We've been given water and it's like, Hey, come, come drink of this without money and without payment. Right. Yeah. Speaking of Jesus, which this podcast is speaking only of about him. speaking of, it's him. almost like if we can go an entire podcast without talking about Jesus, you should shut it off. Just like you, you should do an entire sermon. Yeah. Or if you can read oh. your Bible and not talk about Jesus or see mm. Jesus, there's a problem, and that's for Man. our book giveaway today. Yeah, so we are going to be giving away a book by Dennis Johnson, who was a professor at Westminster in uh, California, and it's a great book. Our church went through many years ago, or last year, called "Walking with Jesus Through His Word: Discovering Christ in All the Scriptures." And we're going to be giving that away to one of our members and a member that has been around for a long time, uh, someone I got to meet like in our very first few years when we did one of our gatherings in Louisville. John Richard is, uh, you are the winner. And I believe John's a pastor from my remembering. But John, congratulations is yours. And if you would like a free copy of this, we want to give it away to you. We love doing uh, these giveaways for two reasons. One, we want you to have a good book. But two, if you'd like to purchase one, you can do so because this is definitely a book we would recommend if you want an introduction to kind of an, a redemptive historic covenantal understanding of Scripture. 
you can go to the show notes and there's a link there. And if you purchase it from that link, we get uh, a portion of that. Thanks to Amazon. Amazon really likes Theocast, man. Let me just tell you. (laughs) Apparently. They're all about uh, Christian ministries. Yeah. We want to give one away for free. So if you want a free one, all you have to do is every Wednesday morning, we give away a new book. And so if you're listening to this on Wednesday, the day it came out, you go to our social media, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, follow the instructions. And then on Thursday, Justin and I, one of us will hop on there with a video and tell you who won. And then we will send that to you. So there you go. The book is related, very much related to what we're talking about today. So Justin, what are we talking about today? The title of the episode, is the Bible really about Jesus or is the whole Bible really about Jesus? What we want to do today is answer that question, but we're really just kind of pulling the curtain back here, having a conversation about a couple of different things. And I'm going to try to explain briefly what we mean by these terms. And then we'll just kind of take off and run with this. We're having a conversation today about typology and somewhat also about biblicism. And so just briefly to define those terms for the listener, when we talk about typology, we are talking about the way that God reveals himself and the way he reveals redemption, and in particular, the way he reveals redemption through Christ in scripture, where there are things that occur earlier on in biblical revelation referred to as types that are significant in and of themselves, but they point to something that is greater, different, and ultimate, right? And so those greater, different, ultimate fulfillments of the types are often referred to as antitypes. And so we're going to talk about examples of some of that today. But if the Bible is read appropriately in a typological way, we are going to see types and shadows and pointers to Jesus all throughout the Old Testament before Christ even shows up on the scene in the New Testament. And so uh, if you think about, for example, the writer to the Hebrews and how he explains the fact that the sacrificial system and so many of the other things that were revealed to Israel in the law, they were ultimately about Christ. They were ultimately shadows and pointers to Jesus and the redemption that would be accomplished through him. That is a biblical example of typology, and we're going to talk about some other biblical examples of typology in this episode. So we're having that conversation about how typology is really helpful in coming to the Bible, and it's helpful to us in particular in seeing Christ through all of scripture. But then we're also going to be having a conversation about something referred to as biblicism, which the goal of of a biblicist is a good goal. It's a good aim. It's admirable that you want to be a Bible person and only say things that the scripture says, and you don't want to add to it. You don't want to take away from it. That's a good aim. Hmm. But oftentimes the way that biblicism presents itself is that if the text does not just specifically explicitly say something, then it just must not be true. And so there is a real kind of concern with biblicism uh, or in biblicism for some of the kind of systematic categories, the covenantal categories, the redemptive historical categories that the Reformed have always had that help us to see Christ in all of Scripture. Um, The biblicist gets very anxious about that, Uh, and we're going to explain what we Mm -hmm. mean by that too. And so before you check out, like if you're sitting here and you're thinking, oh my gosh, like this is an academic conversation and this is something that's going to be over my head. It is not going to be. We're going to talk about this at a street level as a couple of pastors who deal with the scriptures regularly and are trying to teach the scriptures to our people. This conversation ultimately is about seeing Christ in all of scripture in ways that are legitimate and responsible and really upholding what Jesus Christ himself says about the Bible, namely that it's all about him. 
And so we hope that you come away from this episode more encouraged to study the scriptures, more encouraged to sit under the scriptures on the Lord's day as you hear your pastor preach them to you. Or if you're a pastor out there, you're more excited to get in the pulpit and herald Christ from any text in the Bible. And so uh, I might just launch us off, John, in thinking about the words of Jesus Christ himself in Luke 24 mm-hmm. and in John chapter 5, where mm-hmm. Luke 24, the road to Emmaus, right? Jesus is resurrected and he appears to a couple of his disciples and he says to them that they are slow of heart to believe everything that the scriptures have revealed. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to these disciples everything in Moses and the prophets that was written about him, right? Then in John chapter five, at a couple of different points, Jesus makes it very clear to his Jewish audience. He says to them that you search the scriptures thinking that in them you find eternal life. You have eternal life. Yet it is they that bear witness about me. And then he goes on later in John five to say, you guys talking about Moses a lot, right? If you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote right. about me, right? And so this is the conversation that we're having today. And I get excited for this because this has changed, John, I mean, this has changed <laughs> my bit. Christian life, man. Changed my Christian life. It has changed the way that I think about yeah. the Bible wholesale. And this is probably the single greatest thing that informs my preaching from a week-to-week basis mm-hmm. is the fact that all of the scriptures from Genesis <clears throat> to Revelation are about Christ and what he has done for sinners. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. just gonna hand it off to no, you, man. No, before it's good, I man. Me preaching John, <clears throat> I was preaching through the book of John, and it is John is probably one of the greatest prolific writers when it comes to the Old Testament. Like how much he references in typology, in referencing to ceremonies and mm-hmm. the the law, and he mentions the Psalms and Isaiah a lot. And he he won't do a direct quote, but the He'll even say things like to fulfill scripture to allow the reader to know, hey, look, you know what scripture, so this is in reference to. But to add to the question, uh, the scriptures that talk about um, Jesus in the Old Testament, there's a couple more. You have uh, Acts 8.35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scriptures, he told mm. him the good news about Jesus. Now, book of Acts, let's do some math here, Justin. Uh, the New Testament had not been written. Uh, I mean, right now mm-hmm. it's being recorded as in past history. So what scriptures is he referencing? What is he talking about? The scriptures, <clears throat> whenever we hear the apostles in the New Testament reference the scriptures or Jesus referenced the scriptures, they're talking about what we call the Old Testament. That's right. Just to be so, very clear. Yep. So Philip is telling the eunuch about Jesus from the Old Testament, which I can tell you right now that Justin and I both can preach the gospel clearly from the Old Testament because mm-hmm. the apostles did, right? We can use Old Testament Bro. text to preach Christ, and we do Amen. and will always do. And I know I'm going to let you launch on that, but we are not uh, we are not crippled by only having the New Testament in order to preach the gospel. Be, because uh, what what else was Philip using? Uh, another great verse is, uh, that would be connected to this is um, Acts eighteen twenty eight, and he and it says, "For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus." Okay, 
So Amen. he's saying, again, Scripture has to reference the Torah, the Old Testament, and he's referencing the Old Testament to show that it is about Jesus. So it's not one little reference. I know sometimes people say, "Well, you guys always quote Luke 24 and but that's, you know, you're kind of, I think we're t- you're you're basing an entire theological system and way of reading the Bible based on one one verse. And it's not. There are multiple examples of New Testament writers using the Old Testament to teach us about Jesus. So there's much that can be learned and should be learned about Jesus. Now, this is where I know Justin's going to go here in a minute, but this is where understanding typology is so important. Uh, I know it took me a long time to understand this, and so I'm going to say it in such a way that if you're brand new to Reformed theology, if you're brand new to redemptive historic biblical theology or covenant theology, typology is really important. I didn't always, when someone said type and anti-type, I, I, my brain didn't have a category for that. So if you're if you're smart, unlike me, and you already know it, so you can fast forward the next thirty seconds. But if you're like me and you need help in these categories, a type and anti-type. I did the anti-type thing is what threw me off. Uh, a type is very much a an example or a picture of something, but not the reality of it. Right. So we use these illustrations all the time, but one of my favorite ones is. Um, um, if you go to a Mexican restaurant, you get that real big um, laminated menu. I, John, I love this illustration. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Big laminated menu. And I, I love the more expensive ones will have a picture of the burrito and underneath it, it says not the actual size. <laughs> like, thanks. Thanks for clarifying. Mm-hmm. And But it's a picture. It's a type of the burrito, but it is not... Yes. The, you you look at it and anticipate it and are excited about what you see, but it is not what you taste. It is not what sustained you. It is not what gives you energy. The antitype or the substance, the real burrito, which is called the antitype. So when we say type and antitype, which we're going to give some examples here in, in a minute in the Old Testament, that's the theological terms for it. Um, um, you know, a great example of this, I'll just give you one now so you can have something to hold on to. When Jesus says to Nicodemus, as the serpent was raised in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that all who see him will be drawn near to him. The serpent in the wilderness was a type, an example, a picture of what Jesus was going to happen to Jesus because those who looked on the serpent and believed were healed and those who looked to Christ on the cross yeah. and believe are also healed of their sins. And so that's a good example of type and anti-type as it relates to Jesus being referenced in the Old Testament, yeah. p- uh, pointing us towards the New Testament reality. Yeah. And so Jesus, of course, picks up on that very thing in his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter mm-hmm. 3. And the New Testament is replete with examples of this kind of thing being done by Christ and the apostles. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned earlier just how the apostles write and what I might even call like the apostolic pattern when it comes to this conversation. When we are saying that we read the Bible from a redemptive historical perspective, meaning it's redemptive history with Christ at the center, right? And we read it in that Christ-centered way, and we read it with an eye for typology, types and shadows and pointers and fulfillment and all those things. All we are saying and all we are advocating 
is, hey guys, let's read the Bible. And in particular, let's read the Old Testament the way that the apostles understood it. That's it. And the way that Christ understood it. We're not coming up with anything new. We are looking to Christ and Paul and Peter and John and the writer to the Hebrews, and we are just following after their lead in terms of how they understood the Old Testament scriptures to bear witness to Christ and the redemption that he would accomplish for sinners, right? And so we have freedom. I mean, this is maybe one of the more controversial pieces of this conversation. We have freedom to not only go to the texts that the apostles specifically reference, we have freedom to read the entire Old Testament that way because they have given us a pattern. They have mm-hmm. shown us how to do it, right? right? And so we can take, for example, uh, and I'm, I have so many that I, we won't cover them all and it's no big deal. <laughs> right. um, but for example, it just popped into my brain. You know, the way that Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3 connects the ark and the flood and what happened there to redemption and to baptism. That means that it is legitimate to now go back to the Old Testament as saints have done for a long, long time and see other passages, to use Peter's language, where the saints are brought safely through water. Mm -hmm. And we can see those things as a pointer to our baptism through which we are united to Christ, we are sealed into him, and our sins are drowned in the waters of baptism because Christ ultimately has taken the judgment of God for us, and we've died in Christ to the law. Mm. So Peter connects that in 1 Peter 3 to Genesis chapter you know, 6, 7, 8, right? But then there are other, like, other ways that the saints have seen the same connection, like Exodus, the Exodus and the parting of the Red Sea, where God's people are brought safely through water. People have said, this is a pointer to baptism. They're entirely right about that. That's right. Because it's a pointer ultimately to the deliverance that God would accomplish for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. But a lot of times, again, talking about that biblicism thing where it's got to be on the face of the text. And if the text doesn't say it, we shouldn't draw the conclusion. It's like, well, yeah, if you do that, like if you go to the parting of the Red Sea in Exodus, or if you were to preach the flood you know, from Genesis, and you were to conclude, well, Moses in writing about the ark and the flood, he doesn't say anything about baptism. He doesn't say anything about Jesus you know, like the ark being a type of Christ. And so as I preach this, the original authorial intent must have been this thing. And this is what I need to say. It's like, well, in order for you to do that, you have now divorced the account of the ark and the flood in Genesis 6, 7, and 8. You have divorced that from the entire canon. You have divorced it from the entire context of the whole Bible and have actually been irresponsible in preaching it if you do not preach Christ and baptism from Genesis 6, 7, and 8. And that's that's the really controversial thing, I think, to say here is that there is such an obsession sometimes over original authorial intent in the Old Testament that we almost academically, thinking that we're smart, convince ourselves to not preach Christ from the Old Testament. If you're new to Theocast, we have a free ebook available for you called Faith versus Faithfulness, a primer on rest. And if you've struggled with legalism, a lack of assurance, or simply want to know what it means to live by faith alone, we wrote this little book to provide a simple answer from a Reformed confessional perspective. You can get your free copy at theocast.org slash primer. Well, and to go back to explain what you mean by authorial intent for those who this might be new to you if you didn't grow up in a 
or, or are a part of a church that does expository teaching or preaching, what what uh, Justin is getting at is that when an author like Moses sat down to write the history uh, inspired by the Spirit, write down what happened, there's a reason behind their writing. That's authorial intent, right? Yes. What's the intention? What did the, of author, the author intend? It, yeah. Right. Um, you can see these things in like the epistles. You can hear in the beginning while Paul says, I'm writing you for this reason, or um, even in the gospels, you can see the introductions to the gospels and what they're writing them for. And the argument has been within conservative evangelical Calvinistic churches is that you cannot give any other application than the original intention of that individual author. Correct. When we mean by author, like Paul, David, or Paul, well, in particular, Moses. In the, yeah, Moses, what, David, right. Yeah. And there's a danger when you read scripture in that way because um, it disconnects the Bible as if it's a library of books that yeah. are all of a same time period and God is a part of them, but they're not mm-hmm. all connected as if there was one theme. And our argument is that according to the New Testament, there is a theme and there is a driving message. I mean, we can go to Ephesians when it literally says that before the foundations of the world, God made a pactum, right? A covenant that there would be um, salvation promised to sinners. And this was before the first mention of scripture. This is before creation, And we take great heart in that from Paul because Paul is saying there's a greater theme that's going on. There's a, there's a, I would say a major theme of what all of scripture is about. And Paul thankfully gives us a good peek into that to say, this is how you should read your Bible from a redemption of sinners that unfolds through history. This is why we use the term that's been used for many years, redemptive historic understanding of Scripture. So our argument would be the author of Scriptures, the intention of the author, which is God by means of the Holy Spirit, Mm. the authorial intent is redemption. And then you go down into the writer, you know, so I would argue the author is God, the writers are the humans. They're instruments. They're instruments. So, the authorial intent is always God and his redemptive plan as revealed to us in scripture. And then we go down and say, what did the writers say in their context? And we don't want to, we don't want to interpret it in our own means saying, well, I can say whatever I want now because the writer just wrote something. No, the writer wrote it for a purpose, but it's not disconnected from one, all of scripture and two God's authorial plan, which was told to us before. Word. All right, so a few comments here. So first Peter chapter one, verses ten to twelve in that area, the the apostle there makes it clear. He I mean, I'll just read first Peter one ten and following concerning this salvation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. That's 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12. So what that is saying is that the prophets of old, as they wrote down things inspired of the Holy Spirit, did not fully in their humanity understand everything that they were writing. So that right there has to be taken into consideration when we have this conversation about original authorial intent. 
did Moses understand everything that he wrote in its like completely in terms of how it pointed to Christ and would be fulfilled in Jesus? Well, no, he didn't. Or David did, when he's talking did, about did the David, coming Messiah. Did Isaiah, <laughs> did Isaiah, even in writing the, the, the like Isaiah 53, did he fully understand what was going to happen? Well, no, he didn't. Right. And so if, if you are going to govern yourself by, well, what did Isaiah or Moses or David or whoever understand, then you're going to gut the scriptures of their ultimate meaning, you know, that's that right. point to Christ and his work for sinners to save us. Right. And so that's just one thing for us to keep in mind. I'm going to give two examples, John, yeah, that, go for it. that will, I think, illustrate our point pretty well. And I'm sure we're going to give some other examples before we're, you know, done with the regular portion of the podcast. Mm-hmm. But here we go. Here are two examples that, I think are very illustrative and perhaps provocative when it comes to this conversation, both from the pen of the apostle Paul. All right, here we go. First Corinthians chapter 10, first Corinthians chapter 10, in particular, verse four is where I want to get, but I'm going to begin with chapter 10 and verse one and read it real quick. Paul says, for I want you to know brothers that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. That is a reference to Exodus 17. Now, in Exodus 17, what's happening? In verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 10, it's a reference to that chapter. In Exodus 17, the people have been brought out of Egypt, they've been brought through the Red Sea, and they are grumbling because they're thirsty. And Moses says to God, what am I supposed to do with these people, basically? And God says, if you, as you stand before the rock uh, of, I think the rock of Horeb, let me just make sure that that's, yes. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. All right. And, and Paul is saying that that rock and the water that came out of it is about Jesus. And, and we like, seriously, I mean, can you imagine, you know, in an old Testament class or in a hermeneutics class, if a student in many seminaries today were to stand up and say, like, like to preach that text or to write an expositional paper on Exodus 17 and to ultimately make the point of that, well, Jesus is the point of this. You would That's get right. a failing grade in many seminary classes because that is irresponsible hermeneutics and exegesis of the text. But it's like, hey, right. homie, that's what the Apostle Paul does. Right, All right now, <laughs> another passage that perhaps is even more illustrative of what we're talking about is Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter four, verse seven and following. Paul has just been talking about how there's unity in the church. And then he goes on to say, he's going to talk now about how each of us have been given gifts for the use of the body and for the building up of the body. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, and he is referencing now Psalm 68. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Mm. And then he goes on to talk about how um, that's ultimately about Jesus mm. giving gifts to the church. All right. So if a person were to read Psalm 68, that Psalm is about God being enthroned on Mount Sinai, right? Like traveling from the wilderness to Mount Sinai and being enthroned on Mount Sinai. And uh, we would be looking at that again in an Old Testament class, an exegesis situation or a hermeneutics class. And if someone were to stand up and say, hey, that right there, God being enthroned on the mountain, what that's ultimately about is Jesus Christ and his ascension. And then it's about him giving gifts to the church. Again, I think that 
many people would be rebuked for such an interpretation. Mm-hmm. And I think Paul himself would have gotten an F in many seminary classes for, <laughs> for, coming, for saying that that's what this is ultimately about. That's and right. people, he, would, he would be scolded as, you know, to consider original authorial intent. Like, Paul, what are you doing? And it's just like, these are the things that we're talking about. And, and we could give a dozen, 20, 30 more examples like that, John, from the New Testament and how the apostles write. And so all we're contending for today is, hey, guys, let's interpret the scriptures just like Paul. Let's look to the Old Testament, and when we preach the Old Testament, let's preach it asking this question, where does this text stand in relation to Christ? Mm-hmm. And Man. it's mm-hmm. so helpful, brother. It's so helpful, because then we, we're kept from moralizing. That We can make comments about how, like again, think 1 Corinthians 10, Exodus 17. We can talk about the people grumbling, and we can talk about yeah. our sin and all those kinds of things, and we can talk about God's provision you know, for the things that people need. But ultimately, what are we going to leave people with? That God and his grace, not only has he already rescued people from bondage to Egypt, which is a pointer to the rescue that's going to come in our, from our bondage to Satan and sin. You know, not only has he brought the people safely through the Red Sea, which is a pointer to baptism, hmm. you know, and how we've been brought safely through water. But now he's sustaining his people in a wilderness while they're sojourners. And he is saying that the water that he gives for their sustenance is ultimately about Jesus Christ himself. That's right. Not and that's what, we can t- that's what we can say. That's right. Oh, it's so wonderful. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's so good. And, and there's so many, I was flipping through this, so many quotes here. I'm not going to take time to read them because we only have a little bit of time left. But uh, in Sam Rinehan's book, The Mystery of Christ, His Covenant and His Kingdom, this chapter 13 on the mystery of Christ is really helpful in this because that is what we're dealing with is the <laughs> revelation of the mystery of the Messiah Amen. and the final like consummation where Jesus does finally show up from type to anti-type or from you know type, shadow to substance is what Amen. we're dealing with. And when you understand the Bible, so going back to how Justin may be speaking a little bit about this before we get into the SR podcast, but when we talk about how this has transformed us, I want to allow Justin and I to speak into this for a moment where it does change two things. I think it changes God in the way in which God interacts with you and his word. And number two, I think it allows the word of God to come alive mm. in a way that um, the my kids love putting together puzzles. <clears throat> so they're up there right now. It's summer break, so they don't have school. And I wake up and they're out there putting together a puzzle, which That's I fun. don't do. I, to me, I'm like, I'd read a book or something. I don't know. Puzzles just seem puzzling to me. But if I were to go in there and I would flip the puzzle upside down and all the color is now gone and there's only shapes, they could uh, painstakingly and probably with not a lot of joy put that together. Man, it's going to be confusing and it's going to be, you know, they could get the outer border. So they get the mm-hmm. frame down. But after that, it's just gonna, it's just not going to be as enjoyable because part of a puzzle is seeing the progress. Mm-hmm. That's how most people read their word. The Bible is that they don't see the picture they don't have the box cover they don't actually are looking at the life colors of the illustration all they have is you need this they hear about how powerful the word of god is Mm. they hear about how wonderful it is and what they look at is like this is a puzzle turned upside down and i can see the general idea like i know the corner pieces those are kind of like obvious but the rest of it doesn't make sense and what we're trying to say is once someone introduced to us the historical understanding, like this is how the word of God has been taught and read for hundreds of years, Justin and yeah. I can both attest, which I'll let you speak into, 
all of a sudden we couldn't stop putting the puzzle pieces together and seeing no. Christ come to life as the Old Amen. Testament reveals him. Word. I mean, so you just talked about power. You know, people are told that the word of God is powerful. Well, I mean, last mm-hmm. I checked, Jesus Christ is the power of God. You know, and I mean, he the, the gospel and the message of Christ and his cross is the power of God unto salvation. So it's like, my goodness, if, if the word of God is powerful, which it is, and if the word of God accomplishes its work, which it does, well, ought we not right. herald the one that the word is about, which, who is described as the power of God and the wisdom of God, right? And our redeemer and our righteousness and our sanctification and our redemption. Yes, we should preach him. And I, so, yeah, I get geeked up about this, which is probably evident even on this podcast today. But I just, I'm going to continue to illustrate some of this just to maybe demonstrate my excitement over this and how this fires me up. My favorite book of the Bible has probably, and I'm saying this publicly, so I'm bound to this forever. Uh, If someone were to push me on my favorite book of the Bible, I usually am like, well, it's kind of whichever one I'm reading and studying or preaching through right now. It's kind of my favorite because it's on the front of my mind. But I think I am (laughs) at a place finally in my life where if somebody said, pick one book, it is unquestionably the book of Hebrews for me Mm, uh, at this point. Because of this very reality, what's the book of Hebrews about? It's about Christ and how he's greater than everything and how he's the point of it all. The writer is telling people, don't go back to the law. Don't neglect such a great salvation and go back to the law. You know why? Because Jesus is greater than the law. He's greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Aaron. So the law and the sacrificial system and the priesthood and the whole nine yards, all of that was about Jesus Christ. He has accomplished your salvation. He has once and for all made an atonement for your sins. And he is seated at the right hand of God in the heavens. And he's coming back. And he's got Mm -hmm. you and you've been given a kingdom that can never be shaken, right? And it's, it's ultimately all about Jesus and what he's done for you. And so now in full assurance of faith, draw near to the throne of God with confidence and boldness. You know, what a wonderful message, right? So that's, that's, that's right. one. Another one, so John chapter six, this, this just pops into my brain and I'm just so like, it encourages me to no end. And this illustrates our point too. When Jesus is given this whole business to people about how he's the bread of life and how he's the bread that came down from heaven, he references the manna in the wilderness. He says, you know, your, mm-hmm. your fathers were fed with bread from heaven. How many people in preaching manna from the Old Testament are gonna preach Christ? Because we should. I mean, as, as Jesus spoke about it, he's like, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. You know, and it's like, just like your fathers were sustained in the wilderness by heavenly bread, you and your pilgrimage on this earth will be sustained by me. You need to eat my flesh and drink my blood because I am true food and true drink for you. And he's talking, I mean, he's pointing to the Lord's supper, but ultimately he's talking about union with him and how he is our nourishment and how he is what we need. You know, and so this is just another example of how we often are not taught from the whole Bible everything that Christ understood the scriptures to be saying about him. And I need, I mean, I need instruction, John. Like when I come to the scriptures and when I sit under the word, I need instruction on wisdom for sure. I need instruction on things that I need to avoid doing because they'll wreck my life. I need instruction on things that I should pursue because it'll be good for me. I need good teaching on God's law so that I understand what God requires and how I have not met the test. But ultimately, what do I need and what do you need when we come to the scriptures? We need Christ proclaimed to us because he's the only hope for sinners and he is everywhere. And it's not, I've said this before and I just want to clarify and um, forgive me for being excited about all this, but uh, we don't, when we talk about preaching the Bible and understanding the Bible this way, we are not saying that the Bible is a where's Waldo book and Jesus is Waldo. And on every page, like we're trying to find him hidden underneath words and, 
and you know rocks and everything else. It's not what we're saying, but we are asking the questions of the text always, knowing that everything in the Bible is oriented toward and around Christ. That's right. And so then we preach that way and we understand it that way. And this, to your point, John, it makes the Bible come alive. And there's actually good news all throughout it. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm only told about wisdom or if I'm only given law, there's no good news in that. Or if I'm only told that God is holy and God is good and God is, or if I'm only told that Jesus is Lord, like there is no inherent good news in that for me because I'm a sinner. That's right. (laughs) And so you got to give me the whole thing. And yeah. you got you got to tie it together for me with Christ as my savior. That's right. Well, to me, like this is just a this is an illustration <laughs> I I'm going to change it up a little bit, but if if, if I were to hand you, if I were to hand you a drill that's got a screwdriver bit in it and you you're over there and there's no battery in it, right? And you're over there and you're twisting it, you're getting mm. the job done. I mean, you're using it like a screwdriver. Yeah. And that's how most people <laughs> see the Old Testament. Like they don't understand mm. They understand it's supposed to screw something or unscrew something, but it relates to the power behind it. And then I walk over, I pop a battery in, I hit a button, and I'm like, watch this, and your mind is going to explode at the capacities and the abilities of what and how how much more you're going to be able to accomplish. Well, that is understanding the Old Testament in light of the power of the New Testament. One more pass I just want to give you Please. as an example of this is 1 Corinthians one twenty, where it says, for all mm. the promises of God find their yes in him. Mm. Well, he just summarized the Old Testament. The Old <coughs> Testament is just one massive unfolding promise. Yes. It started with Adam, right? Started yes. with Adam, clarified with Abraham, the garden. moving on, mm-hmm. moving on to David and Solomon and yep. all the way through the prophets. And he says... For all the promises of God find their yes in him. This is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So Paul, in the beginning of his letter to 2 Corinthians, he's concluding for you that, look, Jesus is the finality of all that has been written. He Mm -hmm. is it. He is the point. So there's nothing wrong with asking where, how does this promise connect to the Mm -hmm. greater reality of Christ? So when we look at, Abraham, and we look at Isaac and Jacob, we look at the prophets and all of that. He says all the promises of God, all of them. I mean, if Paul didn't mean to say that, he should have clarified, like some of the promises of God. But he says all of them are pointed in a redemptive nature to a person of redemption who yeah. saves sinners. And it is it is um, exhilarating to go back and read, I think, a book full of you know, you can say fantasy, but it's not fantasy, but it feels like fantasy because there's so much miraculous text in there, right? Floods yeah. and wells and days and acts floating. I mean, there, it's it's Narnia on steroids in well, my and, opinion. Yeah, wars and, I mean, there's just all kinds of things. Right. And when you go, hey, this is God showing how he's going to fulfill the promise of a Messiah. And yeah. Paul already told us it's going to happen. So let's go back and watch it over now you have one conclusion. I will, I'll say this, and then Justin, I'll, I'll let you have a final thought before we move on to the sure. SR. But you begin to read the Bible as one story and promise and covenant after another of God is always faithful 
in the midst of when the children of Israel got down to one person, God was still Mm -hmm. faithful to preserve his seed, to preserve his promise in the midst of debauchery and sin and just absolute chaos. God is still in control. I mean, you look at the death of Christ, which is utter chaos, right? Mm -hmm. And yet John says, that was according to plan. Yeah. (laughs) Well, how many times does it look like the light is going out on redemption as you read the scriptures? Mm -hmm. I mean, I just preached the account of Noah and the flood not long ago because we're in Genesis right now. And it's like, man, the the right the 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 uh, line of the promise is down to like one guy, mm-hmm. and I mean in his family, right? And uh, there's going to be other points where, like David and Goliath, I mean, it, is redemption about to be over? I mean, if mm-hmm. if this giant kills this guy, like, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. You know, and it, and that happens over and over again in the Bible, and ultimately that's about God, right? And what He's doing, and this is His movie, and we we should sit on the edges of our seats with our popcorn ready and our jumbo coke and watch it. And behold what our God has done. And it's, it, it, the movie illustration is really good, John. I, this is maybe my closing thought. Um, you, let's just say that you watch a really good movie for the first time. And you're watching all these things unfold. And then you get to that point in the movie where this thing happens that makes everything that happened before it clear. And it makes everything that happened before it obvious. It's like, oh my gosh. Like, Everything that we were watching for the last two hours was about this. Mm-hmm. And it changes everything for you in terms of how you think about that movie. Can, this I, is, can, I, can I give one example, but I won't give the movie yeah, away? Please. The, the please. village. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it you, changes everything, it, you, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You, exactly. So, but that's a good illustration of, of what we're discussing today because it would be like, just as, just as like, John, if you go back and watch The Village tonight, you're going to watch the village knowing that and it's going to right. change how you see it because mm-hmm. you're going to say, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to identify all of these things throughout the movie before that revelation really occurs. And mm-hmm. we read our Bibles that way now because mm-hmm. we've been told the point of it all and we've been shown how to read it by the apostles and by Christ himself. And so why on earth would we go back and read the scriptures that were written before Christ came as though he isn't the point? We shouldn't. It's right. And so anyway, it's just, it's kind of crazy. And I think it's just a joyful and joyous experience for people mm-hmm. when you read and study the scriptures or you sit under preaching where it becomes very clear that there are sermons about Christ all throughout the Old Testament. That's right. What a Justin, wonderful book the Bible is. I know you're going to yeah. take us into the Semper Reformanda and explain what it is, but in One there, would I would like to talk about the dangers of not reading your Bible this way and how sure. modern day history through different biblical interpretation models that have been given mm-hmm. to us have actually caused, I think, pietism, legalism, and mm-hmm. doubt and fear and anxiety when it relates to the yeah. Old Testament instead of hope yeah. and joy. Yeah. We'll have that conversation. So saints, if we're going to leave you with one final thought today, it's that read your Bible and study it and sit under the preaching of God's word, knowing that the whole Bible is about your savior Mm. who died for you, who atoned for your sin, in whom you died to the law and your penalty has been dealt with. And he is the one who provided you with righteousness and you're secure in him. And so read your Bibles that way and Mm. they'll come alive. We pray for you. We are now headed into our Semper Reformanda podcast. This is a second podcast that we record every week for people that have partnered with our ministry. 
And if you're not familiar with Semper Reformanda and what it is, you can go over to our website, theocast.org, and you will find all the information that you need to know about Semper Reformanda over there. Uh, So we would encourage you, if you've not already done so, go check that out and consider joining the Reformation as we seek to spread this message of the sufficiency of Christ and the rest that is ours in Him as far and wide as possible. We would love for you to lock arms with us. And so for many of you that are listening to the regular podcast and will not be listening to the other one, we'll talk with you again next week. And for those of you Semper Reformanda folks, we'll talk with you guys in just a moment. See ya.